0: This was just after I'd read Alex Omosi's $100 million offers, where he talks about uh, bonuses and how you can—you don't want to drop your price, you just want to give more value to create an irresistible offer. So I thought, well, how can I do that? Well, I'll price based on deliverables, so you know exactly what you're getting and everything else, the strategy, consulting, you'll get that included. And it's in my interest to, get, to give you that anyway, because if your site doesn't perform, then you're not going to be able to keep buying my deliverables.
1: Our ever-changing world calls upon the most courageous, resilient, and relentless of us to face its most extraordinary challenges. To help you embark on this journey, we present the Impactful Coaching Podcast, your oasis for inspiration and a beacon to spark the fires of greatness within you. I'm Joseph. I will be your ally in this journey to empower your potential. Join us each week as we dive deep into the heart of ambition drive, and success to unravel compelling stories of daring leaders who dreamed, struggled, and achieved victory. Our journey begins now. How is everybody doing? My name is Joseph. Thank you for joining us on the Impactful Coaching Podcast. Just to very, very briefly introduce me, I've been in the media space for about 10 years. I've done a mixture of Editing, writing, producing, researching, and as I'm very fortunate to be doing on a day like today, hosting content, uh, which is great for me. Got to meet a lot of great people uh, out and about in the world, making things better in one way or another. Um, But to also, you know, have these personal connections and to share all of that with all of you. So uh, with that, thank you for uh, joining us today. And it is an an honor and a privilege to be doing this. I am joined today by Stuart Vickers. Stuart, you've had uh, quite a week, so you know, first things first. How are you doing? How are you feeling today? And is it even a today? I don't know what time you were, you're living in right now.
0: <laughs> yeah, I'm in Lisbon now. It's yeah, definitely been a busy week. I was, I was actually out with Neil Patel last night. You, I'm sure some of your listeners will be aware of. Uh, quite a big name in the uh, general marketing industry now. He started off same as me in SEO so that was at the ascon conference in london run by john penberthy and so we all had the vip and speakers dinner over at um what was it sushi samba in london up in the rooftop bar so that was good fun but definitely a subdued day to day, and then had to drag myself to lisbon for a speaking event and um, so i've only just arrived but it's absolutely beautiful to be here managed to get an upgrade as well so there's a hot tub in my room
1: all right right on I um I I've got a tub as well. It's hot if I try really hard. Um, one thing I'm wondering is, uh, did you you said speaking re- uh, engagement? Were you doing the speaking? So yes, there was uh, audience, but this time in Lisbon it's speaking. So that, that is one of the things, things that that I uh, I have chambered, chambered to ask. So we're going to ask that, and then what we're going to do afterwards is get a little bit into about you know what brought you to uh, what you're doing today. So with speaking engagements, there's no shortage of information out there, right? It could be read, it can be listened to, it can be viewed, it can be interacted with in 3D, and in some rare cases, it can be injected directly into a person's bloodstream. So there's definitely a lot of ways to get information. Um, So what do you feel you need to bring to the table to make a speaking engagement um, worth your while and make it worth the while for the audience?
0: I guess in terms of making it mutually beneficial, there's definitely a sense of qualification. So in my case, I think I'd really like to understand what is the exact audience? There are a lot of keynote speakers out there where they'll basically do their deck for the year and just churn out that same talk every time. Whereas the best speakers obviously understand every conference has got its own little niche. And so they might have a standard framework, but they'll always adapt that to the unique audience they're dealing with on that occasion. So yeah, in terms of giving value, I'd always say mostly just actually giving actionable advice and think about who's in the room, what are they trying to achieve? So this time in Lisbon, I'm actually at an event basically about getting speaking gigs ironically but it's all getting a bit meta
1: mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> As part of my framework i i do work with a lot of coaches and the i always say yes you want to attract your uh, ideal clients but you also want to try and attract basically other opportunities for growth and visibility so why not actually get conference producers coming to you to book you for speaking gigs so most people get gigs by either being well established in the industry if they're not well established in the industry then basically, they've got to go out and almost cold email, cold pitch all these conferences that are springing up. And obviously, that's quite a challenge. There's a lot of rejection. And even then, there's a sense of begging. You're not necessarily able to command high, high fees if you do that. Whereas, what I advocate is actually everything I do with Google, there are tools out there that tell you exactly what people are searching for on Google. Now, that works great for clients. So, if someone's looking for a public speaking coach, there's a thousand searches a month for public speaking coach. And so you can rank for that and therefore get some of those clients who are already pre-qualified and want your service. What most people don't realize is there's all sorts of people making all sorts of different searches on Google, including conference producers. And so there's actually loads of searches out there for speakers of certain niches. And some of those niches go down a long way. Obviously, you've got the big ones like uh, motivational speakers, leadership speakers. But just like with all SEO, there's all these opportunities and all these sub-niches. So I remember a great one I found was actually black female motivational speaker, equality and diversity speakers. The more you go down, there's people looking for speakers and experts on topics, which are really quite niche where again, there might only be a couple of hundred searches a month, but of course they're golden opportunities for the right person. Uh, yeah, if you're a coach looking for speaking engagements, 100 a month is actually already far too many prospects you could possibly handle. So I definitely advocate ranking for some of those terms. Uh, So again, in terms of delivering value, that's quite a niche audience, speakers looking for speaking gigs. But again, I'm adapting my content to suit that.
1: And one follow-up in regards to niching down, just to give people a sense of expectations is, you know, the more niche it gets, the more I might assume that there is a a smaller audience. It's one thing to be speaking in in a stadium with 50,000 people, but is there a, I guess, a barrier or a minimum for how many people you would want to uh, expect out of speaking engagement, uh, like, you know, 50 people who are really engaged can probably go a long way, but, uh, how do you, how would you manage expectations for people who are attempting this and are going to look down into where they can really find somewhere to get started in speaking? Like
0: with all that, uh, actually building a website and marketing and SEO traffic, people get distracted by looking at traffic numbers in terms of quality, uh, quant- got the wrong way around quantity mm-hmm. rather than quality. So don't think about How many users can I get? Think of what's my revenue per user. One of my most profitable websites I've ever ran uh, is actually in the marketing software niche. And you can go into these keyword tools and you can see it's really not getting that much traffic. It's less than 500 visitors a month. In reality, a lot of the keywords don't exist in those those keyword tools, and the real data is actually much bigger. But even then, it's not a high traffic site by any means. But what I'm actually ranking for are these commercial terms, product reviews, comparisons, for basically high-ticket marketing software. So back in about two years ago now, actually, I, when the first uh, first batches of AI copywriting software came out, like Jasper, which wasn't called Jasper at the time, Clothes Copy, uh, I just made sure me and my team were going out and reviewing every single one of those tools, which therefore meant we were able to, it was called launch jacking, where you get ahead of the competition, uh, and you rank number one really easily for those kinds of new products. So it's the same thing with speaking gigs. I would much rather be in the room with twenty to thirty high-ticket, highly engaged, highly qualified uh, coaches who are actually going to implement, uh, who are who understand the value of SEO traffic. But it's this uh, basically a long-term investment to build what I call an evergreen empire, where mm-hmm. it's basically on like online real estate. You put all your content out there, and for years and years, you can attract all these really good quality inbound leads, uh, as opposed to someone. I've been to conferences, I was in Dubai a couple of months ago, and there was a conference of 3,000 people. I wasn't speaking there, uh, but they were pretty much all about paid ads and a lot of what's called traffic arbitrage, where you basically buy ads on one platform and then sell it to another platform. And you don't really understand how that actually makes money, but somehow it's a really big business. But it meant that a lot of people there were basically employees of these brands, all fighting for this traffic on payday loans, gambling, things like that. Uh, it didn't really feel like there were any true product owners, whereas some of the best events I've ever been to have been small, intimate masterminds of around 30 people uh, already pre-qualified, basically. They've worked with a certain coach who's actually hosting the event, something like that. And also everyone contributes. So you get this sense of uh, a specialist in each different niche. So those are really good quality events. I also mm-hmm. like it. You can actually do fun stuff. So my friend Ron Reich runs a mastermind where we all go whitewater rafting in Colombia and mm-hmm. The rainforest and stayed overnight and then got helicopters back so that was after two days of the the more proper business conference so yeah in terms of speaking gigs there's there's this full package basically where yes ideally you do want to speak it's very effective but also it's just the opportunity to actually have deep meaningful conversations with like-minded people and preferably do some fun stuff as well.
1: It's not just fun for the sake of fun too. Part of that bonding really um, creates a memorable experience. I would imagine that that increases the likelihood of then wanting to continue on doing business afterwards because you just have that positive association with one another.
0: Definitely, when you're riding the rapids in Colombia and you've got waves crashing into your face basically, then yeah. yeah, that shows what a person's really like. So do I want to work with that person? them in a situation
1: like that next time that there's a, a conference uh, hosted at a boot camp and i mean an actual military boot camp we'll, we'll we'll see the correlation between going through all of that all the mud and trenches and how that uh, and how that translates so that's, that's something to think about <laughs> yeah all right so here's what we're going to do is what we are obviously we're appealing to a lot of the people in the coaching space and we want to bring the absolute best value to them and the first thing that i'd like to do before we hear about your backstory is i think Let's understand, you know, what are the services that you're providing to them? And we'll we'll get into some case studies if we have time for that, too. You know, what are some great examples of that? But what is it that you're bringing to the table and uh, helping? What, solve, what problems are you working to solve?
0: Yeah, so my, my framework is called the Power Lever method, which is basically a more developed form of SEO search engine optimization, which most people see as almost like this magic fairy dust that you apply. You know, I have a website. Can you SEO it for me? And the answer is generally, well, yes, and no. SEO is much more better explained, but people are making these Google searches all the time. Are you actually aligning your content and your website with what they're searching for? It really is as simple as that. So the way the power method works is we make sure you're actually getting the targeting right. So these coaches, they tend to have focused on really quite beautiful brand messaging, where they're talking about how I bring about a transformation and uh, that kind of thing. But unfortunately I then go to them and say, I'm sorry, but. You are a public speaking coach, you're a mindset coach. And if you're not saying in your content that I am a mindset coach, Google, which let's face it's just a dumb machine, is not going to rank you for mindset coach. So I say that I oversimplify Google is highly sophisticated, highly advanced. But what you got to remember is everything it does has to be done at massive scale, uh, very quickly as well. If you think how quickly you get a result back across millions of websites. So you've got to remember, you are just dealing with a machine, an algorithm. So you've got to be very deliberate with how it works. So exactly that, you need to exactly match the search intent of that user. So if they say mindset coach, the machine wants to give it mindset coach. And just having that targeting can give you a lot of a uh, lot of extra credibility there.
1: I'm, I'm going to f- float an analogy, an analogy out there, out there just, just to see if it sticks, sticks. but I remember briefly spending some time at a at a ranch as part of a school trip and they said that okay horses they're very strong they're very capable they're very efficient at what they do but they're stupid. So you have to understand how to utilize their strengths while uh, please be understanding that, you know, they're horses, they're not human beings. So maybe in that sense, a search engine could be viewed like a horse where you do need to know how to use its strengths, but you also have to use your strengths to uh, kind of coincide with it. Yeah,
0: definitely say that's accurate. Um, So normally when I start with a client, basically they'll be getting some traffic, but basically by, by accident, you know, they've written this blog post two years ago that they thought was relevant and interesting, but it could be some sort of small lifestyle thing. Like, you know, they went for a walk in a certain city and now they're ranking for walks in that city, which if they're selling mindset is not gonna get them any customers. And whereas in reality, you know, Google's got this massive 95% market share of the search engine market. So there's a huge amount of traffic there all the time that you can just tap into if you get the targeting right. And the amazing thing about the coaching needs was it really isn't that competitive. For some reason, I started going to these masterminds and meeting some of these coaches and they're relying on basically posting on organic social media as a real content treadmill trying to craft the perfect linkedin perfect facebook post and otherwise just relying on referrals it's a it's a really good community and quite tightly knit and therefore you can get these good referral pathways
1: mm-hmm.
0: now that's a great way you're just starting out but when you're ready to scale neither of those strategies are really that scalable all these coaches keep telling them about the, the absolute grind of getting out their social media posts every day whatever it is you offer, there are hundreds of people every month searching for your niche and uh, most of the time I've been willing to bet that there've been times I was at an event in Miami and I met someone who was said she was an intuitive coach and I thought, Oh, this might be a bit niche. Is this going to be the floor in my philosophy? But I went into my keyword tool and actually intuitive life coach gets 250 searches a month. Now the amazing thing is these keyword tools tend to actually underestimate the real traffic volumes that are out there. Uh, so it's purely indicative The 250 is actually much greater than that. Uh, one of my clients works in, I don't want to give too much away, but he sure. basically works in the U.S. education sector. Uh, and again, I thought that was quite niche in terms of the specific profession he was targeting. But again, we dug down, had to look, recommended a few articles uh, that his competitors had covered. Therefore, he should cover them as well. Uh, and he smashed it. He was ranking those pages in absolutely no time. Uh, at one point we even found the keyword where people in this profession were looking for templates and strategies to uh, basically mm-hmm. improve themselves within that uh, profession when they just got the job so those people making those searches were perfect candidates for his training so he wrote the blog post on basically templates for what they should first implement when they first get the job that ranked probably bottom of page one pretty quickly mm-hmm. and uh, way Google works takes time to get some traction, but over time it moved higher and higher up. So now he's at position three in Google. Again, my keyword tool says he's getting maybe 200 visits a month. Going to his actual analytics, he's getting 500 searches a month. Now he then rolled with that and basically wrote a book basically explaining how these people getting the new profession, how they can get going and craft their perfect entry plan. Mm-hmm. That's, that's not, not a niche, niche that, that I would have
1: in. factored in. It's not just about the position somebody holds, but the duration—how long a person has held that position. Start starting out at that middle point, getting into the more experienced status. Maybe at one point, they might be looking for a pivot of their own. So that's something that I hadn't even I factored in myself. Um, but with that, I definitely want to. Uh, I, I'm I'm really fascinated by what, what I've learned so far about you being able to do uh, take some time to do some research. But I'm I'm really dying to know. Like, here's what I do know. You started by studying the history of art um, and then you transitioned into journalism. And then while you were working in journalism, you, you were at that time under, finding the importance of SEO to help uh, improve the business that you're working at the time. So that's my CliffsNotes version of it. But uh, please tell us how things got to where they are today.
0: Yeah. People always assume I work in technology or computers or rather studied technology or computers. Absolutely not. I was purely humanities based. So now I always wanted to be a writer uh, that's all a painter, preferably both. So I saw myself this kind of, um, sort of Oscar Wilde type figure, late 19th century, dressed in velvet and uh, just dabbling in a bit of that and a bit of that in the uh, creative arts basically. But I knew that wasn't really a very sustainable career option. So I went for history of art because it was this respectable academic uh, degree. Uh, people joke about it being basically the degree for people who don't know what they want to do, <laughs> which I wouldn't say is strictly wrong. Uh, but even in my, my A-levels, that was extremely, uh, again, humanities-based. I did ancient history, classics, English literature and art. So history, about was quite a natural progression. But I quite quickly found that humanities have very low co- contact hours at UK universities. So I had maybe two lectures a week, something like that which was just taking a couple of hours. And I moved to London, having an absolutely brilliant time, loved living in London. But the challenge with that is obviously, London's very expensive. And I felt like I had, I was time rich, but cash poor. So I thought, how can we flip this around a bit? And so I started looking for part-time work. Um, I was back in my hometown in Reading, and there were people out with there with clipboards in the street saying, do you know anyone who's looking for work? And I said, well, as it happens, I'd be interested. And it was some really dodgy, uh, double glazing selling company where you go door to door on a commission basis. So I had the interview and in all sorts where even though I was about 19 at the time, I sense I was still the oldest person in the room for the sales job. And of course they gave me the job, but I spoke to a few friends and, um, someone said that they'd, they'd reported this company and trading standards our regulatory body had a massive file on them. So it was already dodgy. So I was very pleased when I applied for a job. Uh, as a menswear writer uh, for a mens accessories brand, they did handkerchiefs and ties basically, and they said we want you, we want an expert on menswear to just write about certain topics, whether it's coats, ties, shirts, uh, and basically you can write it as you know flamboyantly, humanly as you like, but we want you to use these keywords uh, throughout the content. So if we're writing something about gentlemen's overcoats, then you want to say gentlemen's overcoats throughout the content, mm-hmm. and this is how we rank on Google. And that's when it occurred to me that having always wanted to be a writer and not really thought it's a proper career, proper profession, actually, there's this whole field of marketing that depends on writing. At least it did until ChatGPT. That was a real game changer for me, where I realized I could be a creative writer, writing about what I was passionate about, as long as I use keywords and then people make money out of it. Uh, so with that experience, it was still a very small gig job. Uh, so with that experience, I got more of a full-time role at a Uh, Online magazine startup. I left SEO behind at that point. It wasn't to do with Google. It's all about social media. This was definitely in the Buzzfeed 2015 era, where we were just trying to blast out content onto Facebook and try to make it go viral. Like all news organisations, they really struggled to sustain that. Uh, Social traffic is great. Uh, I'm sure most of the listeners will know that you put a post out, you get 48 hours of great engagement, Mm -hmm. and then it's done. Mm -hmm. Kristen's long, beautiful article had it edited. Uh, we had proper journalists, uh, ex Iraq war journalists working with us as the sort of editor and trainer who would teach us, the bloggers, to be proper journalists, basically. So a lot of work into every article and very little long term payoff. But they pivoted into what's called affiliate marketing, where you basically promote products in return for a commission. So they were trying to do top 10 leather jackets, top 10 trainers, I don't know. And I thought for them, trying to do this broad approach, broad fashion, that seems quite competitive. Is it really going to stick? Whereas, like the menswear, I've got a passion for uh, certain niche communities, which London is great for. So I'm really into vintage, goth, metal, which kind of adds up. Mm-hmm. I wonder if I can take that affiliate marketing model and apply it to my interests. So that was basically a project during my final year of university. In fact, didn't pay much attention during final year of university. That was all about this, making this website work. Uh, I did the classic error of thinking, you know, this is going to be big. This is my startup. You know, I'm going to raise capital and that sort of thing. Basically, after graduating, I had about six months before in the basement. So there's barely any daylight. Whereas in the UK, we have a shop called Waitrose, which at the time, I don't think it's come back since the pandemic. You used to be able to get a free coffee uh, if you bought something mm-hmm. and you could buy whatever you wanted. <laughs> I would go in and buy the, the cheapest 40p packet of biscuits just so I could sit with a coffee for a couple of hours. But there's one day I did that, went home and the flat had been burgled. And then that's when I thought, this is it, it's time to get a real job. I made 12 cents on banner ads that day, but in the meantime, obviously websites once content costs money, but once you have a website, it doesn't really cost you anything to keep it running. So it kept on going in the background. And actually I noticed that some of my articles were continuing to get traction and traffic over time. I had great success with social in the short term. So, one post I wrote truly went viral within that community and got 10,000 visits within about 48 hours, which, to be honest, I just found scary because I felt like this weight upon my shoulders that I had to capitalize on this opportunity. Mm-hmm. Also, a sense of liability and that to go viral, obviously, you need to be a bit more, a bit punchy, a bit controversial. So, I thought, what if you, know, you start getting this negative feedback and that sort of thing? Whereas the article that was re ranking was I'd heard about this when I heard about the game Fortnite. And the costume company, Spirit Halloween, had brought out the official Fortnite Halloween costumes. So I just I saw this as trending, wrote an article, here's your Fortnite cosplay costumes. And that article really took off. I think it was getting something like 100 visitors per day. Now, the amazing thing was people who are Googling for Fortnite costumes and land on a page about Fortnite costumes go on and buy the Fortnite costumes. Mm-hmm. But that was the incredible moment that I saw SEO, not only is it this wonderful passive enterprise where... You've built this asset, and then over time, it continues to attract uh, the right traffic. Also, you're kind of in the backdrop. It's not like you're having to be constantly going out and grinding out this content. You still have to grind out the content, but you're in the shadows. You don't have to be this sort of public face going out, invading people on social media. Instead, you get some gentle trickle of users that all come to you who already want to hear from you. They want what you're writing about, and then they'll go and buy it. You've got this true uh, conversion, commercially orientated traffic, um, that works. So that one article made far more than the article that got 10,000 visitors, uh, just on banner ads. Uh, yeah, so simple as that. Uh, but of course it still wasn't enough. It takes time to upskill, but also get traction with these projects. Anyway, even if you have the skills, it takes time to grow. So I joined a small insurance startup and um, they're basically just running paid ads to try and sell insurance products in the UK. And I was obviously still learning at that point, but we were spending 10 grand a month basically on ads and get, really getting very few sales. It was quite scary. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this this was a proper company that had done a big raise and worked with all these agencies. And so far, nothing had delivered. And I was there a good while, but I kept on pitching about about this SEO uh, with my experience. But they just couldn't understand how writing blogs turns into actually selling insurance products and who can blame them. In the meantime, I actually started another website that was purely SEO focused. So I took that concept with the, with the Fortnite costumes and applied it to the whole website. So I've sold it now, so I can talk about it, but it was about traditional shaving. Uh, people laugh because this was the same time I grew a beard, mm-hmm. but it was, it was a commercial venture in the past. I, I was passionate about men's grooming and shaving, so I felt justified. And originally I was actually looking at how to launch based an e-commerce brands. There's a business model called FBA fulfillment by Amazon, where you basically design a product, import it, well, get it manufactured in China and then sell it on Amazon, uh, but obviously that requires quite big costs in terms of inventory and getting that product developed. So I thought let's just start off you know, my skills in traffic. So let's just see if we can get traffic, find the popular products that we can actually sell, and then we will just swap out that product for our own product. Once we've got that data. In reality, I never developed my own products because I ended up, there was only 100 pages on this website, but they were all doing extremely well in Google because I covered the topic so comprehensively, written in depth articles and reviews of all these different products like best shaving brush, best shaving soap, uh, different types of safety razor. So that website was doing a very healthy income. At one point, it was actually matching uh, my day job income. So I was pitching this as a case study to the day job, saying, this stuff is really working. And the incredible thing that most of us talk about now in SEO is if you can sell a cheap product, it takes the same time, energy and resources to sell a cheap product as a high ticket product. Here I was making a dollar for each shaving brush or safety razor I sold. Uh, but I knew this would work for the insurance company. So they said, eventually, you know, we'll test it out. I wrote a couple of the blog posts and the phone started ringing within two weeks. So that was an absolute game changer. And again, it was just by finding those, those niche, underserved topics and targeting those, mm-hmm. uh, it was still commercially relevant. So that was an absolute game changer for the insurance company. Then with that experience, I then got headhunted to a much bigger insurance company. And this was a, a proper commercial job. And it was much more to do with website management. So they knew I had all, these, all this experience around SEO and getting traffic from Google. Uh, but it's still very much a case of, they had the growth executives, the growth team, and they're basically in what they wanted us on the website team to implement. So it was basically managing web pages, building web pages, images, titles, that sort of thing. And it didn't really have the strategic edge so much. Uh, they did give me a little side project to do a bit of SEO. And that did really well. But all these, all these chains of command basically just meant I wasn't really able to move from my position as this website manager. Mm-hmm. In the meantime, we had these big, proper London SEO agencies working for us, charging a huge amount of money. And basically I was that annoying client who was asking all the difficult questions and yeah, I don't want to throw stones, but it was pretty clear that they were not delivering the best quality work that they could be whilst charging a very high price and existentially, it just reburned into my soul that I could be doing so much better than this if you just let me and eventually I couldn't take it anymore. So that's when I quit. You know, the universe was telling me, you should form an SEO agency and actually give people the results they deserve.
1: I don't think SEO has as much of this issue as um, some of the other uh, trades out there or some of the other uh, professions out there where it's not crystal clear how to quantify the return on investment. Um, whereas because SEO is highly data driven, there's at least some hard facts and hard data to look at to indicate, well, here's, here's the traffic, here's the movement. So the fact that you know a lot of these places weren't delivering I, they didn 't have the same I think gray area that like an advertising agency would have where you just put the ads out and says like, well you know it 's on the billboard right it 's on the magazine maybe they maybe they look at it, maybe they don 't
0: that 's exactly it, so the whole yeah. industry is uh, i don 't want again i don 't want to throw a stone and say the whole industry is shady. And, uh, but it's definitely an industry where there's a lot of opportunity. Yeah.
1: Well, shadiness, I would say emerges from a good industry. It, it, you know, an industry does have to be strong and performing in order yep. for, yeah. I'm gonna ask you, Stuart, one more question about these agencies. And this does come from a place of curiosity and, you know, we're trying to keep the stones in firmly on the floor, but could you specify or, uh, you know, highlight um what you found were some of the issues or or frankly failings that these agencies whether that were causing these agencies to not deliver on the results that they should have given the money they were charging people
0: yeah definitely it was uh certainly with these big London agencies there's a sense that you know they have the brand they've got the beautiful office that sort of thing they'll come in and schmooze your decision makers basically and then after that there's kind of this blind faith that obviously we've gone with it. It's the same, you know, the coaching industry is often the same where there's that sense of value based pricing and that if you pay a lot of money for it, therefore it must be good. If you buy the most expensive wine on the, on the menu, obviously it's going to be great. Often it's not always like that. So that's definitely how these, uh, these agencies operate. The more of the a brand they can get the better. There's all these awards out there where, you know, the awards go to the insiders. There's lots of money exchange, things like that. So it's quite, I say it's easy to build a reputation like that but then you say why aren't i doing that <laughs> now if you're prepared to throw money at the wall and you know focus on the the public facing the pr side rather than actually doing the work remember that seo is changing all the time and that's really what the shocking thing with these agencies were in that they were using tactics that were really old and outdated and uh, they were basically still using the old basically write a blog post of 500 words and use a keyword four times whereas and uh, what I always tell my clients is that now you actually have these tools, which will take your specific keyword and look at all your, com- all your competitors who are actually ranking and give you a recipe based on what's working for them and what's Google rewarding. And it's different for every single search term. Sometimes it needs to be a 3000 word blog post. Sometimes it's only 1000 words. So all these old practices of it should be you know, 500 to a thousand words, uh, using one keyword a couple of times. And it's just not accurate. And for a big insurance company, you're in a competitive niche. So you need to go above and beyond to do the the cutting edge because other people out there are doing it, not necessarily other companies that are just using agencies, but you know, there's some very smart people out there. Most of SEO freelancers basically. More sort of ethically, I think the biggest thing for me was basically the idea that they'll, because of this brand, they can charge this big retainer. And the retainer is often doesn't really come with any actual set deliverables. So they'll basically tie you into a contract, often a year or even more. Uh, I think in our case, they actually negotiated a, a six month break clause where they could decide whether they wanted to carry on or not, but regardless are six months where they were tied into that contract and there weren't actually any specific deliverables as far as I was aware, really tied to that contract, whereas, and because of that, you just get this sort of mix of results for them the big thing was just the monthly call where they get the key stakeholders from the company and all the account managers and of course the account managers would smile say everything's going great you yeah, know we'll take you through this report And it's just a really long and tedious um call where there's not really actually much to show for it so they'll pat it out with uh smoke and mirrors basically so yeah when i started my agency i went with the productized service approach where basically you're not paying for my strategy, you're paying for set deliverables. And as part of that, I decided to just throw in the strategy for free. This was just after I'd read Alex mosey's hundred million dollar offers, where he talks about uh bonuses and how you can you don't want to drop your price, you just want to give more value to create an irresistible offer. So I thought, how can I do that? Well, I'll price based on deliverables, so you know exactly what you're getting, and everything else, the strategy, consulting. You'll get that included and it's in my interest to get to give you that anyway because if your site doesn't perform then you're not going to be able to keep buying my deliverables so that was basically how it started but even then as i got deeper and deeper into the seo industry and started networking more uh, i knew that the industry certainly had bad players i didn't realize how dark it could go Mm -hmm. Uh, again won't name any names but there are literally agencies out there one of the biggest things is actually link building which uh, is one of the main deliverables we offer So Google rates you in two ways. One is the quality and relevance of your content, but the other, once Google's got all these pages all talking about the same stuff, how does it decide what goes at the top? And it's all about looking at links from other websites as boats of confidence in your website and you as a brand. So the more links you've got, the better. And because of that, one of the biggest struggles with SEO is doing that kind of PR work to get links back into your site. The common way of doing that that we do is uh, through outreach and basically negotiating with webmasters. But what you'll find with these agencies is that's a a really tedious job. So you basically end up with layers and layers of resellers where one person is basically white labeling another. It's very difficult to tell who is actually responsible for placing this link in the first place, even to the extent that that some agencies were actually probably still are, they're selling hacked links. There are these these resellers on the internet, you know, sites like fiber where, uh, yeah, they'll just happily hack a site, not necessarily tell you that and that link is quite cheap, because obviously it's not a big job to actually hack a site. Mm -hmm. Uh, But then to the end user, they're paying quite a hefty premium for what then turns out to actually just be a cheap hack link. So all different levels of uh, shadiness there where agencies are just not being transparent with what they're doing. And certainly in our case, there's a lot of smoke and mirrors in terms of, uh, if I question them about, where are these links coming from? Yeah, I'm not a big fan of this one. This one, yeah. What's the methodology here, basically? Uh, you basically get loads of excuses. Like, I remember someone saying, "So in the industry, there's a, and the big split is basically between link insertion, link insertions, and guest posting. Guest posting is the classic, but quite often, if you just want to get a link inserted on a web page quickly and efficiently, then most webmasters will happily just insert that link for you. And uh, both of them are valid. Both work this agency was telling us that they were doing when i asked what methods they're using for link building they said we do a a content exchange i'm saying that sounds like guest posting it sounds a bit more authoritative but i can see you clearly just insert a link on this page that's kind of relevant to the subject i'm not seeing how that's a content exchange as you call it so yeah focus on the deliverables make sure deliverables are good quality uh, that's pretty much it. And actually doing the work ourselves rather than outsourcing it.
1: I just one thing, uh, and this is a very um, pragmatic point, just based on my observation, but uh, by being deliverables based, um, that does f- maybe fluctuate how much time you might actually need to provide those deliverables. So the incentive for you is to you know, be efficient with your time and, and do it uh, uh, not quickly to the point where you overlook something important, but so that way. Um, a client isn't uh, handed, you know what I mean? Like if, you're, if a problem comes up, it's on your end to solve, right? A client isn't going to be hit with this bill where all of a sudden it took like an additional 12 to 20 hours and it's like, what would happen? It's like, well, here's the thing. And so just to try to avoid a, uh, frameworks or or, or SOPs, um, just to make sure that, you know, you're able to kind of be efficient with your time on these deliverables.
0: Exactly. So the back end, the beauty of a product or service is not only does the client know what they're getting, but you know what you're giving and that is really quite uh, nice and scalable. So it is just an SOP that you can roll out and scale. The limit of that is the consulting and that's much more on me. So like I say, this is just a bonus that I add in, but in reality, yeah, you know, if a client's not getting results, then I'm going to step in because otherwise they're not going to hang around much longer. It's very dangerous when I say uh, we do this free strategy, free consulting, whatever. 90 percent of the time i always say the vast majority of seo is just great content and great links and a bit of a bit of website optimization that doesn't take very long so that's very process driven Uh, but there's always this danger of yeah what if there's something extra and as you say that becomes this time suck basically the only time that's really happened i think is basically one of my clients had previously worked with a web developer and again agencies being being dodgy they basically had it written into their contract that he was not allowed to use any other services while he was with them. And they were a full package for hosting, web design, and marketing, including SEO. So for him simply to take up my SEO services, then he was in breach of that contract. So he was quite happy to move from them. But that then meant he would got this sort of custom website built with them. And he had to migrate the whole website to a different hosting provider. And... When you take a really custom build like that and put it on standard hosting, things start to go wrong. Mm -hmm. Of course he wasn't tech savvy to understand what was going on. Why should he? He was focused on delivering results for his clients. I'm not an expert on web hosting, but I know, I know more than he does. So that was a time I I really stepped in and had to basically handle the whole migration myself. I probably wouldn't do that again, to be honest, Mm -hmm. but in that case, you know, he was a good client. There was definitely, I saw a big path for scaling and growing together. So I was prepared to, it was a good few days actually to do that migration. So in that time I was prepared to do it. Just like running a coaching business, I think. There's always a good call for boundaries in that you want to over deliver for your clients as much as you can. Also, yeah, you need to have the strength to step back and sometimes things are outside your remit.
1: I'm relating to something uh, on you know a vastly different scale here, but uh, there was one project that I ha- had to work on where it was a lot of video techniques that I don't I'd normally done. And I did my best, but uh, the hours in that went way, way past uh, what I expected. So, you know, I can either uh, c- continue to barter with them and try to get more hours on the clock or I realize, you know what, this is school. This is a lesson. This is me teaching myself something that's going to save me time way down the line. So I think part of it is also just making peace with these, knowing that in the long term, um, this, will, this will pay off, even if in the short term, this is a lot of time that I wasn't expecting to spend on it. That's a big one actually
0: that's one of the reasons i offer the free consulting and that uh, i've run these online businesses for years where like say working in the basement flat or going to waitress for the free coffee things would blow up all the time i'd have to work out how to fix them so now i get a client who's got a big business and that same thing is blowing up for them and i know how to fix it and if i fix it again for them then they're getting the same uh, i'm extending the benefit of that investment that i originally made Mm -hmm. so recently, i had a new client come on board and she'd been referred to me but all her emails were going into my junk mail so you need (laughs) these are uh, also with your hosting and dns records uh, you basically have these almost like signatures to basically authorize yes that's my domain yes it's my email's coming from there if you don't have those records set up correctly then it causes all sorts of problems like that and there's checkers on the internet where you can make sure you've got those so i just put in her domain and obviously they weren't there so I replied to her saying, yes, I'd love to have a call with you about sorting out your SEO. Uh also just FYI, you might want to sort this, here's how you fix it. Mm-hmm. And her response was immediate, thank you so much. My team has been trying for a year to fix this and they couldn't, uh, let's get on a call right now. That's how, where I feel that these agencies can improve, where uh, often there are quite simple things. You know, I wasn't necessarily offering to go in and fix that problem for her, but I was aware of what the problem was and how to fix it. and often. That's the biggest thing: just working out what the problem is and having someone with that awareness.
1: And uh, with that, let's uh, let's move into talking you know, specifically about the, the the coaching niche here. So, considering that some of this question might have been pre answered as we've uh, unfolded this conversation, what I like to ask uh, to sort of simplify it is: you know, what interests you about working in, in the coaching niche? And you know how much of it was uh, you know a personal or an emotional attachment, How much of it was? just it gelled really well with the way you think and the way you operate? Yeah, I mean, first of all, coaches are
0: great people. And um, most of them genuinely do want to uh, help people out and yeah make a positive impact on the world. And because I say that tracks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But because of that, they make great clients as well. They, uh, yeah, like I say, I started off with just this link building agency, and I thought I'm going to take my insurance insurance background. I'll just get other insurance companies, but I was thinking there's going to be all these layers of bureaucracy in the way where it's going to be, uh, you know, all these meetings, calls, sign offs, uh, would I actually be able to do anything within those companies without several layers of approval? So it was quite clear that my best clients uh, for me were basically single seller entrepreneur uh, businesses where maybe they've got a small team, a few contractors, but fundamentally it's one entrepreneur making the decisions. The other reason was what I was saying earlier about it takes the same skills, resources, and energy to sell a cheap product as an expensive product. So I've always been fascinated by that, this idea of how can I max that out? What is the ultimate high-ticket product that I can sell through SEO? So going from shaving brushes to insurance products was a big step. But where do I go from there? Uh, and you know, have fun with it. You know, have, the sky's the limit with that and coaching programs most of these high ticket coaches the standard is probably around ten thousand dollars some even more than that going back to the idea of speaking gigs yes you could be paid 10 grand for that speaking gig but if you then get clients from the people in the room a single speaking gig could be worth hundreds of thousands of dollars Mm -hmm. then these onto more speaking gigs so for me coaching and just the sort of information economy was really fascinating this idea of informational products are First of all, pure margin, there's no, obviously group coaching and one-to-one coaching is a bit limited, but in terms of info products, if you've got a course and even then group coaching is still quite scalable, It's very little ongoing cost. So you've got a very high profit margin, but also because of the, what you're selling is kind of intangible. If you improve, if you've got an entrepreneur in front of you and you improve their mindset by 10%, so you know they scale from a million to 2 million, obviously they're going to be to pay a huge amount of money for that kind of game, so the value of those leads and the value of those products uh, is kind of intangible, but also massively scalable. So I think that's what really did it for me, and that was par- paired with a uh, just a real split in terms of these coaches had these really high-ticket products and were clearly delivering great results, but the marketing was very limited. They were, I say, just focusing on posting on Facebook and Instagram and waiting for the odd referral. Meanwhile, I'm saying to these people, there's literally hundreds of people per month searching for exactly what you're offering. And uh, why aren't you showing up for them? So it's just joining the dots, you know, perfect hungry clients, perfect product that they want to buy. Really not that not, that difficult to actually bring those together. It's not a competitive niche. Most top SEOs work in things like you know, gambling finance, but coaching products, like I say, extremely high value, but not a competitive market. I suspect a lot of the. The competition, obviously, SEO tends to be highly technical, and I suspect there's a bit of bias there, in that they don't see coaching as being this sort of hard, tangible product that they understand, and it's all a bit, a bit woo, basically.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I think because of that, the coaching niche is really not that competitive. There's a lot of scope to totally dominate your niche uh, if you have a coaching brand.
1: There's two things uh, before I move into my next uh, scripted question, and one of them is just because uh, we've we've mentioned it the difference between working for a high ticket sales versus low ticket sales. There, there's one stipulation there that I think some people are probably considering. I, it's, it's crossed my mind, but wouldn't it even out because you are selling a low ticket item to a high volume of people versus selling a high ticket item to a few people. I think that's the logic where you're, that's how we would scale. So did it end up being that the low ticket uh, products weren't reaching the amount of people that it needed to reach? That's what I thought about in the
0: early days, that I just assumed, I think those of us make this mistake, that you think cheap products are probably going to be less competitive. And it just doesn't seem to be that way. I don't really understand why that is. Uh, a lot of big newspapers have now moved into affiliate marketing. And yeah, you've got really quite major brands who are targeting really small um I just low ticket everyday products and you're not going to outrank those brands. Whereas uh, in my case, certainly in the early days, finding a niche insurance products that the likes of Aviva and all these huge insurance companies in the UK just overlooked, um, you know, they've, they've got their own you know, internal limits on resources so they're not going, they're not going to bother with the, um, the smaller items. And I, I love that quote from war dogs where Joan Hill just says, talks about his contracts for government defense spending, how they all go online and all the big contractors all swoop in on the the big deals for the tanks, the aircraft, but no one bothers about the small orders for just a few handguns here and there. So he says in terms of a slice of the pie, he's just going after the crumbs, but to him, that's obviously huge. Basically things like the links, the content, they cost the same amount of money to do. So you might as well sell a product that's worth thousands they're on the cheap products because fundamentally it's all just time and mm-hmm. uh yeah time basically decides the value of everything, including how much a webmaster yeah has to be incentivized to insert a link for you.
1: It's one of those questions where I just feel like, you know, if people are listening you might be thinking thinking along those lines too. So definitely wanted to get that out into the ether. But the the other one that that came up, you know, I hear coaches and And I have this Venn diagram in my head of coaches and consultants, because I think consultancy uh, runs into a lot of the same, you know, um, woo-woo objections where like, okay, how much of it is actually tangible and measurable? So is consultancy a neighbor to you? Is it a a cousin to to coaching? Have you noticed any cross-pollination there? And then on the flip side, you know, what would be like the main, I guess, differentiating factor between these two? Yeah, I think they're much the
0: same. I think most people prefer to be known as a coach because that sounds kind of energetic and proactive, more sort of Tony Robbins, whereas a consultant uh, in this country, we've got you know, KPMG, Deloitte, these big consulting firms where you know, someone in a suit and short back and sides who basically comes in, tells you what to do and charges you a lot of money. So, yeah, I think it's kind of a negative association with consultant. And Interesting. I think just semantically, coach sounds better It's short and punchy, consultant. My book, The Paralever Method, I did think about calling it How Coaches and Consultants Can Achieve X, but it was just too wordy. Whereas, yeah, I think if you deal with transmitting information, then you're a coach.
1: Okay. I guess I'll I'll add something onto that, anyways, just uh, because it crossed my mind as well. But I remember, you know, growing up and, you know, uh, being part of certain sports teams, um, having coaches, right? And so there's that span of experience between having. A full grown adult, you know, working with us, teaching us how to play soccer. Although in my case, uh, poorly, but you know, the, uh, I, I tried. So I think that there is a, a more of a also a, a resonance with that. That it it comes. A lot of people are familiar with that from from a very young age, which means that word probably imprinted at a younger age as well. So I think there's there's definitely a point to be made about that. Which is
0: definitely sporty. I think in essence, mm-hmm. which
1: so. With with that, uh, now this next one, I don't know why I'm inside baseballing. Oh, this is a scripted question or not. I don't know, I'm just having fun with that. But what uh, what have you found to be the average career status that coaches are at before they come before they become coaches? Like a certain amount of credentials or experience or um, just time in the industry before someone feels like it's time to impart their knowledge to others?
0: Yeah, definitely, I know there's that. Uh, there's always a stereotype around 25-year-olds becoming life coaches. <laughs> More cynically, but no, pretty much all my clients, certainly the high ticket clients I know, uh, they've got deep sort of industry expertise. I think there is also another slightly negative connotation where it's someone who's you know, kind of bored of their, their day job and they sort of graduated beyond it. And again, certainly in this country, we talk about how once you're over 50 or so, you then become a consultant. But yeah, so there's definite benefits in some sort of deep domain expertise, like I say. So that's why definitely works well in the niches Uh, like i say my clients in the education sector and also business coaches who have worked with uh, just a wide array of businesses there's that experience that comes with repeating the same processes for multiple clients i've definitely got the same thing working as an agency if i've got uh, 30 websites in front of me and i can see how they're all performing in google then i can get a lot of data very quickly so definitely with business coaches i know they have their framework they apply it to every client and they're able to offer these guarantees they know that with the right client with the right implementation that they're going to get the same results as everyone else
1: unless we're about to give away uh, too many uh you know trade secrets but With being able to accumulate that kind of data, and you obviously uh, have the opportunity to observe a lot of patterns, do any patterns stick out to you that like similar issues that you notice a lot of coaches are having, being able to solve a problem for one person and ends up solving a problem for the next 10? Yeah, definitely. I mean, uh, step one,
0: like I say, is that point about just the basic website audit. Have they got content on their website? Are they talking about relevant topics, or are they just talking about what nice day it is? Also just some technical fixes. So don't use out-of-the-box website builders like Wix, Squarespace, Uh, they're very beautiful, very user-friendly, but slow, they're clunky. And if you actually want to customize anything, it's quite limiting. So just go WordPress, that's wordpress.org, the open source one. So you don't need to pay for it. You just need to install it on some hosting and you've got a free website and that's infinitely customizable. There's a whole universe of third-party plugins you can use. Uh, Plus people like me, other developers, uh, they all understand it it's the same framework and then uh, there's certain plugins that we just use over and over again to fix things like speed or uh, internal linking between articles that's a that's a service we offer so we do that in bulk that's another benefit of having volume and that obviously i've got volume agency pricing on a lot of tools and software uh, whereas for one coach to accumulate all the different tools and plugins they need is obviously mm-hmm. getting very expensive other than that just definitely tactical things obviously Everyone's always debating about what's working in the industry right now. Uh, but ultimately, nothing works better than the first-hand experience of observing with your clients. So the big one at the moment is, does AI content actually rank? I can tell you, absolutely. In fact, on one of my sites, I use ChatGPT to write a review. This is a bit meta. I reviewed a AI content writing software that I hadn't used, hadn't touched it. Uh, and I'm now number one for the review of that software product, <laughs> A pretty much purely ChatGPT GPT, uh, blog post. So you gotta be smart about it. Again, make sure you're fulfilling all these criteria. Don't just take what ChatGPT GPT gives you and paste it into WordPress. Uh, but yeah, things like that. There's a lot of, again, going back to the smoke and mirrors of agencies, uh, you know, agencies will tell you, uh, same thing for all these gurus and experts. They'll tell you what they want you to know. Uh, And I've definitely seen big speakers say things that completely counteract what I can see happening. And we all have our own reasons for having that kind of front-end viewpoint. Um, Another big one is building links and that you shouldn't build links. You should earn them slowly over time. My view is always that you've got to get traffic somehow. And you can either wait five years or build the links and get the traffic now. And again, multiple clients, my own websites as well, Because of all the hype, because of all the uh, concerns that gurus are saying, don't build links, don't build links, I therefore didn't for a long time, Mm -hmm. I started building links, my traffic went through the roof. So it's really quite simple. And again, gurus, they benefit from maintaining the mystique that they have the secret. No one else has the secret. And therefore, you've got to listen to them. Whereas in reality, if you just implement some of the fundamentals yourself, then you realize a lot
1: of it's not that hard. One observation that I made in my uh, long career of of listening to people and, and I have to watch out for myself too when I do this is, you know, speaking is and trying to teach others is unconsciously an effort to reinforce our own ideas right so if i'm speaking in front of thousands of people it's a matter of i want these thousand people to believe what i believe because i want to believe what i believe even stronger and more resolute than i had prior to i'm not saying people are doing it consciously or even out of malice but i think that is something that we as humans do need to watch out for yeah it's interesting i haven't really
0: heard that before yeah it's a thing i do what you say makes it true
1: mm-hmm uh, we're closing in on on the on the final uh, part of this episode, so there's uh, there is one other thing that I was uh, interested in asking about in regards to the coaches, and then I have some fun stuff prepared for YouTube. So I feel like the answer to this question is going to be it depends, but I'm going to give it a shot anyways. What do you find to be the medium balance for coaches? Like, how much is a successful coach? focused on the technical advice versus the more motivational or even like the more emotional side to uh, improve someone's mindset uh, interesting <laughs> there's this joke actually you say it depends and uh, they do say if you ask an seo anything
0: the answer is always it depends
1: i actually came up with this earlier today i don't know if it's uh, uh, it's too tasteless but i i almost want to call it a diaper question because the answer is it depends <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll yeah. see how that tracks <laughs> But to get back to the question, the
0: point is, in terms of de- the delivery of the coach, how much is sort of technical based on framework? Yeah, I think certainly the, uh, the really successful coaches, they always pull it back to some core fundamentals. So, yeah, some of the – I've got clients in leadership. And, again, they're just bringing out some yeah, really quite classic literature, classic frameworks, uh, stuff that if you've if you've worked in leadership, if you've read these books before, you'll be quite familiar with but again, it's one of those things where to gain that knowledge, you've actually had to spend years trawling through all that discourse. Whereas if a coach can simply present it to you in an easy, accessible format, then that makes total sense. I think in terms of the whole, the more woo aspect, the positive reinforcement. And um, no, I think it's definitely some core fundamentals there. Of course, a big one is accountability. And um, if you're paying a lot of money to a coach and they're going to check in with you every week. Then you're going to get a lot more done. It's as simple as that. Rather than trying to do everything by yourself, I'm definitely guilty of this. Thinking I don't need someone to teach me this, but then you find, uh, yeah, you're still saying yes to everything. It's much easier when you've got someone you've invested in it, and then someone's holding you to account for that.
1: Mm-hmm. And and I think that stems back from a lot of um, how you know a lot of us are raised in in civilized society. You know, we go through school, we are we're accountable to our parents, we're accountable to our peers, accountable to teachers. And so I struggle with this too, is that when I'm only accountable to myself, I'm, I tend to let myself off pretty easily. So having other people there to help facilitate that growth is pretty important. The amazing thing about the, the masterminds actually, yeah. And group coaching
0: is it's a fantastic business model because the product of the mastermind actually increases the value of the product. If you're on a group call and you've got this bunch of people who are all holding each other accountable and leveling each other up this idea of the rising tide mm-hmm. so it's uh yeah that's really powerful definitely i've been to conferences where um <laughs> it feels almost a bit culty where you've got the one business coach who's then got uh, the people who are in his mastermind everyone in the mastermind is obviously paying lots of money to him but you know they can be benefiting from each other either selling services or um giving each other advice from their own areas of expertise and genius so to have a network like that, obviously, there's nothing wrong with assembling a group of people and then charging them for access to that same group of people. So yeah, that's definitely powerful. Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: all right. So w- with that, we're uh, we're gonna we're gonna wind down um, this year episode. So these following questions are for fun. As somebody who used to have long hair for a long time, and I've been you know called Jesus multiple times, I I know how I know how, what what it's like. I did think it was funny. It's like okay, I wonder. Uh, if, uh, okay, you see a guy with long hair and a beard, he automatically gets a Jesus label. I wonder if he's aware of this. And I go on to the website, okay, he's not only aware of it, it's on the website. <laughs> so <laughs> does that have any impact on, you know, what you do or how you see things or, you know, any? Uh, massively. So, yeah, I get
0: called Jesus on pretty much a daily basis now, whether it's, you know, van driver coming past or, and I didn't really lean into it. You know, I had, I had friends saying to me, uh, you yeah, know, it's so convincing. You should definitely join a lookalike agency or something like that. There's some way you got to benefit from this. I thought I'm fine. I'm, you know, I've got money. I've got a career. I don't need to get you know, hundred dollars turning up to a party. But then I was on a, <laughs> I was at a conference in Bangkok, I was on the rooftop and there's was this guy I just, I just met, who was also into SEO. And he sort of paused and we've been talking a lot and he said, so why don't you go for the SEO Jesus thing? I thought, fine, I, my... <laughs> I had to look at the sheet. seojesus.com was available. I thought, well, I can't not go for it. A... <laughs> um, uh, so I grabbed, it. I'd never really done anything with that site. Uh, it's just a basic landing page, but I got ChatGPT to come up with some terminology. At first I was you know, enjoying doing that, that messaging of leave paid as purgatory, become a disciple, all that kind of messaging. And then the pricing packages of the baptism the Ascension uh I didn't go to Sunday school, so I quite quickly ran out of biblical references, mm-hmm. went to JTBT and it smashed it. But yeah, I've got enough on. I don't need to build all these like sub brands. Uh, but it's quite clear that no matter what I did, I'm still SEO. I, I just mentioned the story to people in passing and they go, oh, my God, that's so good. I'm only going to call you SEO Jesus from now on. Uh, I mentioned that in a mastermind I was speaking at and then I was therefore introduced onto the stage as SEO Jesus. <laughs> So there's no escaping it it's become self self-fulfilling and uh, so just recently i started moving some of that messaging and pricing packages into my uh my actual brand so yeah those are now the pricing packages because yeah baptism sounds better than five links a month mm-hmm. which is what it's
1: uh, I also uh, you know, I'm, I'm listening to this and I'm just seeing the the light cascading behind you and I'm like this is so hard not to uh, I didn't to notice that but, yeah yeah this it's, hotel room it's, it's not the best lighting but it is on brand yeah exactly so it's just it, it's it, it, it I I find it um well for one uh, soothing to my soul uh, in, in addition to a number of other things anyways so last question for you and then we'll we'll wrap this up and find out where the audience can can reach out to you is. You know, for a profession that leans heavily into a data-driven decisions and results, do you, and if you do, where do you make room for manifestation and just trying to check in with uh, whatever cosmic power you happen to ascribe to? It's ironic.
0: I've got a spirituality website and people sort of hesitate and they say, oh, I didn't realize you were into that. Uh, but, but, you know, it makes sense with the way I look. Uh, so, you know, I'm really not very spiritual. It's purely a business decision. Uh, search volume in that niche is huge. So you've got angel numbers, tarot cards, uh, plus obviously God, Gotham metal scene. I've got a lot of very spiritual friends. So finding experts to write for me was no problem. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that website now gets a 1,000 visitors per day. But yeah, to answer your question, I'm really not that spiritual. Um, in fact, on the contrary, I'm a bit of a I'm a hypochondriac. Uh, at the moment, I'm actually medicated because every couple of years or so, I'll just have a dip where I get very anxious about my health and mortality. And it's basically because I really, you know, truly believe that there's, re- there's only this life and I want to make the absolute most of it. And I think that's why I've got this entrepreneurial drive and energy trying to do everything. And but yeah, sometimes it backfires. So with that, there is the sense that, yeah, I do need to check in better and not get so carried away. And uh, the most recent time I realized that even when I'm in what I call a positive mood, it's still this very high energy, very intense, still quite anxious state. And of course that's not healthy. I need to work out balance where I'm not massively up or massively down, but just calm basically. Um so like that, I used to want to be a painter and writer and actually just recently I've started painting again for the first time in years, basically. And it is absolute bliss mm-hmm. back in January, actually, when I had the last um, episode with the anxiety. It really uh, struck me that um, basically I built the business I wanted, but I didn't have the lifestyle that I wanted. I was stuck in rainy London, hadn't planned any travel stupidly. Um, And there's a sense that, you know, the money's coming in now, but what really makes me happy? And so, yeah, basically set out on a project where I've been basically switching my focus instead of optimizing for business and money, optimizing for Basically, pure enjoyment and satisfaction. The mm-hmm. uh, one win was definitely bouldering. So I've gone to quite a regular habit now of, uh, I revalue value friends. Uh, we have got a friend, Shona Beckwith. She's got a massive uh, languages website, perfectenglishgrammar.com. And she came up with this framework of friends, fitness, and flow. And that's her perfect day. I thought that's so good. I'm stealing that. The important bit being the flow, the flow point, that could be a flow state for work. It could also be a flow state just doing something you enjoy so with the bouldering i found i had a really good day if i met up with someone with a friend i was going to say someone i can care about that's called a friend and uh, meet up for coffee and then go bouldering together and that was a really good day they were normally business people because they were available during the day uh, but that was definitely a good day because i was getting intense exercise and social and it's kind of strategic as well and keeps your head engaged. But yeah. more recently, yeah, painting has just been absolute bliss of really focusing on something uh, for hours and hours, just getting lost and switching off.
1: Well, I'm, I'm happy to hear that. And just, you don't you wouldn't know this about me, but I'm a spiritual person, although I have a very specific approach to it. So maybe someday down the line, uh, I'd love to compare notes about our, our varying perspectives. All right. Well, I'm uh, sorry to say, but that is everything that we've got for today. Uh, we are uh, out of time, but I'm definitely looking forward to seeing how this is going to unfold and looking forward to, among many conversations at some point, getting that spirituality conversation in because uh, I've, I've talked to some people in the past who've tr- like tried to convince me not to believe in what I believe. And so it is always fun to have this like unstoppable force versus immovable object kind of uh, discussions. So I'm looking forward to that. No, I'm always curious. Um, no, I never look to change anyone's mind. I mean, it's a, it's one of those fun conversations to have because it's just really just goes to show a person's perspective. But that's definitely not the the, the nature of the show. So that's just my personal um, intrigue uh, activating. So, Stuart, would you kindly let the audience know where to, where to find you online? And for people who are in the coaching niche, who, you know, we want to talk to these people. So we'd love to have them on the program, maybe how they can reach out as well.
0: Yeah, it would always love to say, just Google me. <laughs> I, think, uh, I mean, Stuart, because it's a particularly common name as far as I'm aware. So I think something's gone definitely wrong if I'm in SEO and I'm not ranking for my own name. Ironically, yeah, a lot of the coaches or brands I talk to, they'll say, yeah, we've done SEO. We rank for, for our brand name. And I'm, yes, you should at least be ranking for your brand name. Those are for the people who are already searching for you. You want to reach out to the people who don't know you exist yet. Um, but yes, I've been doing a lot of work on the the personal brand. Uh it's good fun trying to it's called online reputation management where you try to basically shape that front page of Google for your name. So I've got obviously LinkedIn, Facebook, Crunchbase on there. Um all of which there's what's called the Google Knowledge Panel where if you eventually become a person of note, then you get that little pop-up box at the top which is pretty really nice to have. I know a few SEOs where we're all reaching for that. So recently published the best selling book, The Paralever Method. So an Amazon author link is often quite a powerful factor in getting that. But yeah, so reach out to me on any platform you can. I recently re-enabled notifications on Instagram, so I do now get Instagram messages. Yep. Otherwise just through my through my website. So if you go to paralevermethod.com, then you can enter my funnel that way. And most of the funnel is either book a call or simply reply to this email and happy to give some advice.
1: Fantastic. Um, and, and as for me, uh, and again, I'm um, uh, grateful to, be, to have this opportunity and to be able to receive these messages and do my part to help broadcast it to the, the greater world. Um, but for for those of you listening, Joseph Ayani, J-O-S-E-P-H space I-A-N-N-I on LinkedIn, uh, that would probably be the best place to reach out to me to confer and how, uh, however I might be of assistance to you in that regard. So with that i don't i always like to come up with a custom sign off for the programs i work in i don't have one yet but when we get one it's going to be really good so with that said um take care everybody we'll we'll be back as soon as we can